This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Kraus, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Matt Iceman. Matt was featured on this podcast early on back in 2015, but I felt like it was time to bring him back on. There's so much new things to talk about. For about a decade, Matt has been the drummer and more recently the music director for Grammy-nominated singer David Nail. Matt is based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and in between touring with David Nail, he also works out of his home studio and finds himself staying very busy locally working around Nashville. If you want to support the podcast, you can join our Patreon page at patreon.com slash workingdrummer. For as little as a dollar a month, you can have access to all our educational content. In recent weeks, we've been adding quite a bit of content. That includes a video from former guests like Bruce Becker. He did a video just for us. We also have a video from former guest Brian Zach, where he goes into how to improve your ride swing patterns. And recent guest Mike Malone has five transcriptions of some amazing drummers and classic performances that he has made accessible to our Patreon members. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal. You can find that link on our website at workingdrummer.net. Matt's one of those players I met years ago before I started the podcast. We were both playing in the same club. His band was playing after mine. Every week I got to see him play and was just really uh, just admired his approach, his pocket, his feel, and also his very kind demeanor. And I'm, I'm glad we've become friends. Also found out that we both studied with the same teacher up in Ohio before he left for Philadelphia to finish his education. But uh, I just so appreciate his friendship. And, uh, and just his interest in continue to grow and educate himself beyond the already great drummer and musician that he is. So when he posted some things that he learned from Shannon Forrest when hanging out with him and some videos, I thought, man, we've got to sit down and talk about this because we're both huge fans of Shannon's. And also after the interview, he reminded me that even though he's been on this podcast three times, he has forgotten to mention a band called Spider Wolf, which is a fun side project, and uh, I encourage you to check them out uh, on your platform of choice, but Spider Wolf is the name of the side project. But for now, check out this interview and conversation with Matt Iceman. All right, I, I pride myself on preparation, but man, this is... Uh, we're, just, I, we're just old friends. I hope this is a positive reflection of how I feel about you, Matt Iceman. <laughs> I feel so relaxed that I don't feel... I feel like I can 
Yeah, you were doing yoga like five minutes ago. That's right, I was. I, I dropped the professional <laughs> professionalism bullshit down a few notches. I would expect. <laughs> um, okay, this is nutso. I had to go back and find out when you were on. I know it was super early on. Yeah. I did two interviews that day. I was scrambling because this was before oh, no Zach had joined me. Right, right. And I was trying to put out an episode every single day. So in the afternoon, I interviewed Keo Stroud. Okay. Grabbed some lunch, ran over to your place, and yeah. did your... I did two interviews in one day. We hadn't even started the podcast posting because this was in December yeah. of 2014. I know, I remember. Yeah, this, I mean, so you were... Which I have done one since then. I did that roundtable. You did. But but yeah, the the solo one. Because yeah. I remember, like, I had just finished touring with Eric Pasley. Yes. And we did that interview. And then I think I texted you in January and was like, hey, I don't know when that podcast comes out, but I'm not playing with Eric anymore. And in the notes, in the notes is like, as of the date of this recording, right. you were, I was writing a lot of, you know, show notes and stuff like that. I'm doing, doing less of that. We're just focusing on the content and blah, blah, blah. But it, yeah, you had switched from the time we had done the interview to the time it posted, you had switched gigs yes. from Eric Pasley to David Nail, who you've been with here, since. Here we are 10 years later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the obvious questions is, like, what's been going on since 2015 with you? I know you've had this gig with David Nail ever uh, since. Oh, man, I mean, that's such a loaded question. I mean, professionally, I have that, it's been my main gig since then. I started working with a like a wedding and corporate band called the Downtown Band in 2018 because they added like a third band under their umbrella because they were already double booking and then people were still wanting them so they started triple booking and yeah so I started doing that which was like you know just nice extra work and I hadn't uh, been doing cover gigs like that in a few years like I wasn't really playing on Broadway that much. And that's kind of like a muscle that you lose if you don't do it. The the whole thing, of, like, because that band is like, they don't rehearse. Right. They just go, you know, here's our Dropbox full of charts and board tapes. And the week of the gig, they'll send you the set list. Mm. It's your job to put all your charts in order in four score or whatever. And then you just show up and you read the charts down and you go home. Right. And as long as everybody does that, well... It's fine. But like that whole thing of just like, okay, having the courage. Like I, this happens a lot on Broadway because I have started playing Broadway again in the last couple of years where someone will request a song. And I'll be like, well, I don't know it, but let's do it. Yeah. And, you know, just give me like the four key, th- like what's the relative tempo and the feel. Mm hmm. How's it start? How's it end? And then if there's time, I'll ask, like, is there anything weird, like, in the bridge? Or is there anything that's going to trip me up, you know? Yeah. And if you can give me that information, then we'll play it. And it's a little easier now because there are drop boxes of Broadway charts that, like, I feel like a lot of people have access to. So if if someone does call a song and I've never heard it, I might be able to find it on my iPad and at least have a number chart as a roadmap. I'll tell you one thing that I do. You, are you running ears when you play downtown? Yes. Okay. 
I use my phone for my click if <clears throat> there's songs that I needed or sure. to pick up relative tempos. Yeah. I also um, have Spotify ready to go. Oh, yeah. I've done that a couple times with Apple Music. If it's like, if I have time where I can just hear something real quick. Yeah. 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 That gives that to me. Um, the uh, there's a there's one group that I play with where the bass player he'll just he'll be on his phone and he'll say I just sent you the chart yeah and I have yeah. to look it up you know and I'm sure. trying to read a number chart on my phone with oh the screen. yeah <laughs> keep doing this thing then you got to move it to, yeah yeah, to yeah. but I guess my point was going to be that like I don't if I can help it like obviously if there's a chart it makes it a lot easier but. That whole thing of just like someone going, hey, we're going to play this song. I know you don't know it. It's fine. Here's how it goes. And you just being okay with like, I know this isn't going to be perfect, but I'm going to rely on my ears and my eyes Mm -hmm. and just like play music with people. Right. It doesn't have to be perfectly like the record when you're playing fucking V drums on Luke Bryan's third floor (laughs) for 40 people. But, But just that whole... I feel like that's a that's a skill that can maybe go stagnant if you're on like a road gig a lot where you're playing the same 20 or 30 songs and you've got those songs dialed in. But when you don't have to just play off of your instincts, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and when you if you're only doing Broadway for a while, like I was early on when I moved here, you get really comfortable doing that. And then if you don't do it for a few years, you're like, "Oh yeah, I got to remember how to just be okay with you know, because if there's five people in the band and three of them know it, you're going to do that song. <laughs> yes. You know, like, sometimes if one person right. knows it, <laughs> as I'm long gonna, as the singer knows, I'm going to sing it and I'm going to throw you numbers. Yeah, I mean, exactly. This is, this is crazy. So it's been interesting because me being the, one of the hosts that lives in Nashville and has some experience playing on lower Broadway <clears> that <throat> not everybody is into doing it. And I respect the decision to do it and to not do it. Sure. Um, and I, there is value in being able to throw and go, if you will, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And and I feel like where that skill set translates sometimes is in really highly professional scenarios. Uh, say, uh, okay, this, this is going to be this is going to come off as hopefully not as too much of a brag, but I did a gig. And it was a songwriter festival out west, and I was in the house band for a couple of days. And the guest songwriter on that week was Jewel. And they said, listen, she's going to get up. She doesn't need you guys. She's going to get up and do things acoustically. We're like, great, cool. Yeah. She sings her song. She turns around. And she goes, hey, do you guys know Summertime? And I don't think I've ever played it. Maybe I did in college or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. I'm like... We're all like, yeah, of course, of course, we know it. Jewel, right. whatever you want, right, right. And so we we like what key figured out quick, you know, chat and threw it down, yeah, and played it, and she loved it, yeah, and it was great, and it was a slightly nerve wracking, but it wasn't very nerve wracking because I'm like, I do this all the exactly. time, exactly, yeah. It's not for Jewel, but the the ability to do it is the same it doesn't matter who you're doing it for i'll tell you also where it helps is in the studio whether 100 on your own yeah or when you're at a studio with other people and you're looking at a piece of paper with numbers or whatever on it 
you have to make music from yes. that, and that requires your ears and yes. all that stuff. So I, I value that. Yeah, totally. And the whole like choosing not to play on Broadway or to play on Broadway, it's always funny to me. The guys that will, oh, you you still play on Broadway, as if like you graduate from that. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, well, I mean, I don't do it very often, but like since the fall, I've been doing an every Monday night down there because the people in the band I love playing with and they're people that I don't get to play with that much anymore. So that's fun. The The, the song list is not the typical thing. Yeah. So that's fun. And the money is decent. Like the base pays pretty good for down there. And we usually walk out with pretty good tips. Yep. And it's like, it's a six to 10. I'm not getting home at three in the morning. Yep. And it's not really cutting into like any part of my day where I can be productive. Right. So it's like, yeah, why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. It's a chance. It's a chance to play and make some extra income. And on top of that, it's, it's fun. It, it like, there are some gigs where it's just a, you know, I'm doing this for the money. Yeah. But if you can enjoy the people you're playing with and enjoy 80% of the music you're playing, then wh- why would you not do that? Right, right. The only drag about the gig is that it is on V-drums. That, okay. That's that's pretty lame. But the load-in and load-out's really easy. You bring a pedal <laughs> in your stick bag. That's great. <laughs> you know, the gig ends at 10, and I'm usually in the parking garage by 10 after. So... But it is. It sucks to play V drums for three and a half hours. I I don't know why they think that. I mean, I get it because they're trying to control the volume. But it makes. I played. I think third floor Luke Bryan's. Yeah. Yeah, we did a private there, and yeah. it was so I couldn't dial in the cross stick, and it was like a hand clap. And every time we'd play it, the everyone yeah. everyone yeah. in the band was just laughing the whole time. Oh, and the I people, mean, there's only so much you can do. You know, you get yeah. things that misfire because they're getting beat on for. 12 or 16 hours it's a day. Amazing. Like they're not really built to. Yeah. We've gone down hey, this rabbit mu- hole. Music city. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. Well, tell me about your gig with David. Um, you have mentioned to me, maybe right before we hit the record button that you have a new set of responsibilities. Uh, with David. Yeah. So I just uh, like a week ago got asked to be band leader because Reed Pittman, the keys player that had been there, for 10 years had he had been band leader the entire time I'd been there mm-hmm. and he just decided he did not want to be on the road anymore which mad respect if you can make that decision and make it work yeah uh, um so yeah so now I get to follow in his which Reed is like one of the best musicians I know and have ever worked with mm. so having to follow in his footsteps as band leader <laughs> It's kind of daunting, uh, but I'm I'm very flattered that David. You know, I, this is my tenth year with David. I've been there five or six years longer than anybody else wow. in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was telling you, like, I went and picked up the tracks rig from Reed yesterday, and I was just like, I really need to dust off my Ableton chops because that I haven't had to run tracks or do any of that since I played with Pazlay. Okay. And even then that was, it was pretty basic. We only had like three songs that had tracks. Everything else was just running click, you know, it was all coming from Ableton, but it was just starting and stopping. Right. And 
this gig is mostly that too, but as far as if we're going to change an arrangement or we're going to add a new song, there's going to be more stuff involved. And I just, I know a doll is a doll for the most part, but I just haven't worked in Ableton in a long time. Ableton is unique though yes. from, from others and and the, and the fact that it is <clears throat> flexible for rearranging right. probably more so than anything yeah. else. So he, Reed kind of, I probably was over there maybe an hour and he was just like, yeah, remember this is how you do this. And I was like, okay, yeah. But I just need to spend, thankfully we don't have any full band gigs until the end of April. So I have some time to just open up the laptop, get in there and refresh my memory. The other thing I've been doing a lot lately in the last week is playing bass. What? Which I don't play bass, but I, f- I feel since I am going to be band leader, being inside the songs a little bit more is important. And I think for some, probably most guys in this town, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, of, of course. But I think a lot of times as a drummer, I, I don't. I don't listen to a song and I'm thinking of like what the chord changes are or, or anything like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so bass is very handy as far as just like, oh, okay, it's this progression because I don't have to worry about playing the chords. I like, I don't have to have skill to play guitar. I don't have to sit at a piano, but just being able to hear the roots and I can make a quick chart. So I've just been, doing that with David's songs just to kind of be like, Oh yeah, that of course that's what this is. And then I've just started putting other songs on that aren't David, just anything and charting because most of the time, if I make a chart for myself, it's a really quick drum chart, right? You know, versus four plus four, it's it's eight bars, but the phrases are in like four bar phrases. So I'll write it like that or whatever. I'm not writing a number chart because I'm not quick enough my ear isn't good enough to just hear something and write a number. I have to have a point of reference. And, and we have drummer friends that do write drum charts with chord changes or number symbol, you know, yeah. number, uh, Nashville number system uh, to write their drum charts that I think is cool because it gets you, like you say, inside yeah. the song. My charts are drummed, straight up drum charts. Yeah. You've probably seen them. Yeah, I mean, they're probably very similar to mine. Like, yeah. I've, I've gotten a very, very good at this shorthand thing where I can listen to a song one time, yeah. make all the notes I need to make, get the form. But, but well, I is- would prefer to make number charts because then when you're trying to communicate to the rest of the band, whether it's a session or a rehearsal, yes. I don't, I can't. I don't just have to say, like, oh, you know, bar five of the second verse. I can mm-hmm. say, like... On that six chord, you yeah. know, and they yeah. all know where I'm talking about. I'll tell you one thing that I learned quickly because I was when I was preparing for a session. If I had the song ahead of time, I was writing my own chart, and then the person would say, "Oh, and, and we'll also have charts there for you." And so everybody has the same number chart, and I would kind of just set that aside and use my own. Well, as you're working on the song in the studio, making changes, doing different things like that, everybody is looking at that same Xeroxed copy of that number chart. And they said, yeah, that second six minor, let's push that. And I'm going, guys, which which bar is that? Because I've got my drum chart. Right, right. And yeah, I don't have to cross reference with right, my other right. chart. And after yeah. a couple eye rolls, I'm like, I got to stop doing this. Yeah. I've got to learn to use 
and use this number chart as my chart yeah. and then make my drum notes on it. Exactly. Which reading a number chart, I've never had a problem. That's yeah. totally fine. But if if someone was like, hey, you're going to be session leader in the sessions tomorrow and here's the six tunes, can you bring charts? I'm going to be up all night <laughs> just trying to make charts because it's not like, you know, I have guitar player friends mm-hmm. who they'll hear a song and they don't even have to have, they know what key it's in, it's this, it's this. And part of that is just the nature of their instrument. They're hearing, they're playing, they're participating in that part of music more than I am and have been their entire life where I've, I'm, you know, music is rhythm, melody, harmony, right? Mm -hmm. They participate in all three of those. Yeah. 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 When they play their instrument. And a lot of times, I mean, drums don't. And a lot of times drummers don't, but I think it can only make you better. Like I said, being inside the tune more. And so yes. that's what I've been doing. I, I I have not actually been playing bass. I'm not a bass player, but it is the instrument I use if I'm trying to And this was chart. your decision to do this. Well, it was my decision to like, yeah, I want to go back through and like really, I want to know what, you know, what key these songs are in. And Peter, the guitar player on the gig, he's been there forever. It's not like... I'm not worried about somebody coming in and not having their shit together where I'm going to have to tell them that. Most people, they come in, they've done their homework. But I still, it would just, it was a decision I made because I didn't want to be like, oh yeah, the fucking drummer is the band leader and all he knows is boom, da, boom, boom, ba, and you know what tempo the song is. Like, I don't just want to be okay. that guy. Yeah. And the bass thing just came from a guitar player friend of mine. In Ohio, we were FaceTiming, and I was like, yeah, dude, I really, I just, I want to make some charts and get back into, like, having my ear be better. And he was like, well, dude, like, because the way I used to do it was piano. Yeah. But he was like, dude, just grab a bass. He's like, I've been playing guitar for 35 years, but when I am charting, I still think of a bass. He's like, because you, you pretty much know unless something really grabs your ear that it's different, you know what the qualities of the chords are going to be. Minor, major. Yes. Yeah. Like if it's a five, mm-hmm. most of the time, it's major. If it's a six, it's going to be minor. You know, things like that. So he's like, as long as you can find the root, you can make a chart. You can know what's happening. I love that. And it's, you know, you're only, the daunting task of trying to figure out, oh, I got to play, these notes on piano, if I'm in this key, that all goes out the window. I only have to know the root and then I can make a chart. Mm-hmm. And then if something really grabs my ear, then maybe I'll go like, oh, is that five minor? Maybe that's minor. What's going on there? Maybe you go to the keyboard at that exactly. point. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or, you know, maybe that's a one over three. Like something something weird is happening there. Like the bass is going to a three, but the quality of the chord sounds different than what it should be. But most of the time, I don't know. Maybe I'm really exposing myself. I'm a fraud. I've been working in Nashville all, all this time. You're as, as someone that is desiring to, to grow and learn and, and grow your skill set. That's exactly it. I'm thinking of other areas that this will be beneficial. As I, I'm getting into producing. Yeah. And so I need to be able to understand harmony and chord changes at a higher level than I have before. Right. As strictly the drummer. And that's 
I mean, I really feel like just in the last week, I, I told my buddy this. I had FaceTimed him again because I, I was like, dude, I'm going to Who is this guy? Ryan McVeigh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he lived down here for a while, uh, but I know him from Ohio. We played together in a country band for a few years. And then when I left to go to Philly for college, he had moved down here. And then he moved back to Ohio in 2014. But I do a lot of work for him out of my studio. He's he's like one of my best friends. He's a very he took guitar lessons young, but he's mostly like a very natural self taught musician. And he's he can sing. You know he plays guitar. So I just told him I was like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make like a bunch of charts. Yeah. And then maybe we can Facetime one day, and you can like check me on them. You know and. Like I've been doing it hardcore for a week, and I actually had this. I had one song that I charted. I was at the kitchen table one night after I put the kids to bed. And I was listening to the song. I was like, "I'm going to see if I can make this chart without any reference," because mm-hmm. I had been doing it all day, so my ears were like really in tune. It's amazing. And dude, I was I only had missed a couple things, and I was pretty stoked about that. That's amazing. So it goes to show you that like if you really dive into something old dogs can do learn yeah yes exactly well (laughs) just the whole thing of growth i feel like in this last week i've just grown as a musician just from being able to do that because now if i'm if i'm on a run or something all of a sudden i'm hearing music differently that's amazing dude that's inspiring that's really great it's it's been really exciting Mm -hmm. you know because Mm -hmm. it's it's maybe a part of me that's always felt a little inadequate because I know other drummers that are also really good at at like oh yeah that's this just this yeah and you know they've just either been doing it longer or they just worked harder at it or maybe it's just a more natural thing for them or maybe they, if they play like another instrument like do you know Brett Byers do you know Charity Byers I feel like some of these names are, okay they're well, yeah they're like they play on Broadway all the time, but Brett is a great drummer too. But like he also sings, he's got a great voice. Mm. He just picked up a guitar. Like David Black's the same way. Three, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. to pick up a guitar three he years ago and now he starts playing. And it's like, that. dude, I've never <laughs> been that guy. And part of it is I've always been happy to just play drums. Same. But, but there is a part of me that like, while drums are my instrument of choice, it doesn't mean I still can't be a better musician. Exactly. I'm not trying to be a bass player or a guitar player, but if I can hear things and and be more on that level with other musicians in the room, that's a win. And how about the joy of learning another instrument that is not your chosen instrument and the pressure that is not there? Like taking piano lessons, like... Yeah, I'm going to work on this, but my life does not depend on it yeah, in the you, same way. You you are learning it because you want to and you're finding it fun. Yeah. Not because it's like part of a curriculum, not because your parents told you you had to. Right. Well, I mean, I'm I'm associating that with like with drums. I have a lesson this Friday coming up. I'm taking a lesson from Ed Green. Okay. And I'm very excited about it. But also there's a part of me that's like, I have to show up because this is what I do. This is how I identify as, sure. as a drummer. Yeah. If I was going to take a guitar lesson, man, the pressure would not be there at all. I'm like, show me what you got. Yeah. I'm going to work yeah. on it. I'm not a guitar player, but I know some stuff. Right. But drums, that's my thing. Yeah. That's who I am. So I feel uh, that that's an unrelatable tangent, but I feel like there's probably a lot of joy in what you're finding on top of the growth that 
that you're learning. Yeah. Making yourself more employable, more valuable. I'm sure David and anybody else is like, they've obviously recognized that in you. What is the instrumentation? What is the setup of David's band? Uh, well, it's been drums, keys, bass, guitar. And then David will play either acoustic or electric on some songs. But really the last three or four years, he hasn't played that much. It's I think he's enjoyed just the freedom of not playing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how we're going to roll this year. Like we have acoustic shows in March and that used to be when I first joined, it was just Reed and I It would just be keys and I would play like a cajon setup and David would play acoustic. And then when Pete joined, David was like, I want to start bringing Peter out too. So Peter would kind of play like a scaled down electric rig and David play acoustic and Reed. So it was basically everybody but bass. That we would call it like power acoustic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so far, I think the intention for these acoustic gigs is just to not rush the process of finding a new keys player. It's just going to be Peter and I with David. And David will probably play more acoustic. Okay. Uh, and I don't know. I, I have heard mixed things so far. Maybe, maybe we're going to hire another keys player. But I think there's also been talk of like, wouldn't it be maybe kind of rad to just really change up everything, arrangements, song choices, whatever, and not hire a keys player. And just, I don't know if that means we're going to hire another guitar player or if we're just going to be like a David and a three piece, just bass guitar drums. I have no idea. Yeah. You know, we just got off the week of snowmageddon. So I haven't really had a chance. Like my kids have been home a bunch, like the house. Been I haven't had a chance to really sit down and like have a good long talk with David yet about his plans. Mm-hmm. And since we don't have any full band stuff for another almost three months, like, I don't think there's any, I don't think he's in any huge rush to make a decision. Um, so I, I don't know. Can I ask you, um, for drummers and musicians that, touring with an artist is a big part of what they do and there's a lot of time off you've already mentioned some things that you've picked up from relationships that you've built the reputation that you've built over the time that you've been here to fill in those gaps is there anything else that you're doing consciously in a financial way that you'd be willing to share that kind of helps keep you and the family afloat in between tours and shows Well, so I am fortunate that I have been on salary with David since my second year. Yeah. Now, I think when you tell that to people, they automatically think like, oh, he's making like $300,000. Like salary means some big number. No. I mean, I think that I am more than fairly compensated for the amount of dates we do. Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to think that I'm like talking smack about how much I make. But it's not... It's not a lot, but the nice thing is it's a consistent paycheck every two weeks, right? So you don't have to be like, we made a bunch of money and then we just spent it. Exactly. And when's the next gig? Because, but I I do supplement, like, I'll do some downtown band gigs or or things of that nature. I'll play on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, Reed and I and Cornelius Perry, you know, Corn, bass player. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, I think he lives in this neighborhood. I see him from time to time. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, Reed does like uh, jazz gigs out at Arrington Vineyard, 
And so he has like two trios that he kind of works with. Um, and Corn and I are like one of the trios. So we do between there and like some private corporate things that he'll book. I maybe do like a dozen kind of like jazz gigs a year. Oh yeah. Cool. Which is awesome because that is like one thing that I like to kind of keep alive. I mean, I'm a terrible jazz player. <laughs> like I was much better when in college when that's yeah, all yeah. I was doing, yeah. you know, but, yeah. but I love doing that and I love so, playing in piano trio. Yeah. 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 Setup style. So, uh, we do those and, you know, I've got my studio at home, which I think everybody says this, you know, I, everybody wants to be doing more studio work. Yeah. I would love to be doing more studio work. Yeah. Uh, but I do enough out of there that it, I mean, it's, it's a little bit extra money and it, it's, it's, a it's a good way to like learn new skills in that world, you know? As far as like, oh, if I move the mic three inches this way, it sounds totally different. It sounds like ass. <laughs> if three inches the other way, it's like golden, you know, yeah, like yeah, th- yeah, just things like that. So yeah, yeah, when we first did the interview back in what, December 2014 was when we recorded and yeah. then and then put out in 2015. But I went to your studio, your first studio, probably at a it's, different house, yes. different location. Yes. You were ahead of the game, man. I mean, I was looking at what you had, and I'm going, I wasn't even close. I didn't even know what I had. That's really funny because it was, it had only been, that building, that room had only been finished since like July of that year. And gear wise, it was really primitive. Yeah. Like it was, it was the earliest incar- incarnation of that, yeah. of that place. So, first question. You you mentioned some friends that send you work and different things like that. Is there anything that you're doing actively? I saw your profile on air gigs. But is oh, there- is there still <laughs> is there still one on there? <laughs> I haven't done an air gigs session in so long because I just started getting spam all the time. Like really, they were clearly not like real. Okay. Inquiry. I had one of those about once. sessions, I and I was like, once, "All right, but... maybe I'm done with this platform." Sure, sure. Uh, I know a lot of gig or a lot of guys that do work through Sound Better. Yeah, which I haven't. I think I started setting up a profile a few years ago, and then got distracted and didn't. I, I have enough clients. Okay, not through those platforms that keep me busy enough. I mean, here I am saying I could always use more studio work, so I should probably finish making a sound better profile but i mean the but, people that the the work that you do have is 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 that just that's just coming your way through the relationships that you've established in the past yeah and I, a couple of those did start out as air gigs there was one guy in particular that was hiring me all the time and he eventually was just like look can can we just bypass air gigs like mm-hmm. can we just just go through paypal and yeah. it's like absolutely yeah so uh and, you know, other people, just people in town are like, like I, my buddy Ryan uses me for a lot of stuff because even though he's in Ohio and he's maybe not really like a full-time musician, he still does a lot of stuff. He'll produce other people up there or record stuff for himself, Yeah, you know, and, and uh, he'll just text me and be like, hey, I'm sending you a track. Just do it whenever. That's ultimately what you want is... is I've said this a thousand times. A, a buddy of mine on the east side who had a great studio. We went out to lunch 
during a session, and it was just he and I, and he kept me really busy for many years. Yeah. And I said, I want to do more of this. And he goes, you need about three more of me in your life. Right. And I get what he was saying. A lot of our buddies who do sessions full-time work with engineers, studios, producers, that they are their guy. Yep. Or their second or their third guy that keeps them busy. We have other musician friends yeah. that, that do that. And home studios now have democratized in a way this platform, <clears throat> this way of working. And there's ways to go about finding that guy that uses you all the time for right. whatever project. Right. And one of the ways you mentioned, which I think is great, is that air gigs connection. Yeah. You do a good job for that one person that I can rely on Matt to record anything I throw at him if it's my stuff, if it's someone else's stuff. And those relationships turn into lots of recording, lots yeah. of album projects. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. I mean, consistently. <laughs> yes. But uh, again, as we've mentioned on this podcast, is you have to look at recording or building your home studio or building your you know, session shops as if you were starting out trying to get gigs. Right, right. You know, making people aware that you're there. So how would you go about getting out and playing live? You let people know you're around. You exactly. might post something that's relevant and not too annoying and not too often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you show up. Yeah. You show interest. You support. You, know, you do all these things. And so a lot of those strategies, I think, work well uh, on the home studio front as well. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, too, because I don't know if you've encountered this, but it's like that kind of work seems to come in waves. Yeah. You know, like I haven't had anybody ask me to do anything this whole month and I've, you know, not had really had anything else going on. I've had plenty of time where I could do stuff. Now, what will happen is April when touring picks up, Everybody I'm going to have like six people. Hey, yeah. hey, can you track? The, and it's like, well, I can, but you're going to have to wait till, you know, Monday when I get home. Or, but that or is whatever. the beauty. Unless it's something that's super pressing, 99% yes. of the time, you're like, I can get to it this time. When a live gig is, it's on this date, it's at this time. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, not, it's not, that's not even so much a complaint. It's just a funny observation of like, when it rains, it pours. Yeah, it's like you know, thank I, you. Luke I could Combs. use a little sprinkle here in January, you know. Holy like I've, shit, yes. I've got nothing going on right now. Yeah, same. Like same. I, I don't know. Uh, I had one. But I guess that also makes sense because if if your other musician friends don't have anything going on, they maybe don't have money to spend on recording. So that's also why no one is hiring anybody. You know, that's it's a whole. You could keep pe peeling the layers. Yeah. Back. So I'm wondering. I wonder if there's something that we're not seeing that we could unpack here and say, hey, look, we're all slow. Uh, for my January special is, if you need a track, I can do it for this amount. Right, which I, I've done that in the past. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And okay. I it, thought it was my brilliant idea. <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought it just came up with I've there. done that. I've seen a lot of people <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I have too. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it, I, I think it can be effective. You know, I remember... When COVID was happening in 2020 and we were all, no one was on the road and everyone was home. And I remember it was like an interesting thing. A lot of guys were on social media like, hey, you know, we're all home. So if you need drums. Yeah. Which I get that because we're all trying to survive and we're also just bored and whatever. But I remember thinking, man, that's like also kind of 
insensitive is not the right word, but like nobody else is working either. So nobody has any money to spend on doing anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's, I guess that was my point as far as like the months when it's slow and you wish you had work. Well, it's slow for everybody. So, you know, and I, I don't charge a lot to record drums, but I also don't do it for free. So you have to have money to hire those players. And if you're not making money, if you're only making enough money to get by, you don't have that extra money that you could put into a recording project, I guess is my point. Well, I think there's different groups of people that hire musicians for work. There's other musicians. There's uh, people with insane amount of money that are hobbyists. Right. There's yeah. singer songwriters whose parents are bankrolling everything. Sure. There's this whole different kind of thing. Yeah. Which just kind of finding that. those lad those latter yeah. two you get a lot on like Sound Better and Air Gigs. Yes. You know which that I guess those platforms are good for that sort of thing. It's not always maybe the most inspiring music you're playing, but yeah. we also can't. You know you're just supposed to handle the work that comes at you. You have the option of saying, I don't want to do this. It's not like anyone's right, forcing right. you there to, there to take the, the session. What has changed gear wise since I saw you? Dude. You- so, okay. So back then I was still running a laptop. <laughs> that was 2014. <laughs> I was running a laptop from 06, a MacBook <laughs> pro from 06. And I had bought an Apogee ensemble off of, reverb i think uh because a a buddy that i had done a bunch of work at his place that was his main interface for a long time and he was like dude they're they're great like the converters are great the preamps are pretty decent you know and that was my hub for a long time and then i think i found like a an eight channel presonus digimax yeah i have one yeah and so that those were my 12 inputs for a long time and i Started buying some outboard pre's. Really? A few, nothing expensive, you know, like I think I, what do I have? A couple of those golden age that are kind of, they're supposed to be kind of like a Neve. Okay. They're, they're not really like a Neve, but they do inflect some character into the sound in a, in a good way. Um, and then and where were you sending those? Like, say you had one or two. Like, okay, this those, is going to so, go to... So the Apogee Ensemble had four built-in pre's, and then it had, like, five, six, seven, eight were, like, line inputs. Yeah. So I was just coming out of those into five and six. Okay. Um, and then I think at the beginning of 21... Well, so I eventually upgraded my computer. I bought a, a Mac Mini. Same. But it was... I think it was, like, an older 2011 Mac Mini. But it, it ran great. Mm-hmm. And then... I think at the beginning of 21, we had, we moved in 2020 up to Hendersonville, but I got up that morning and I went into the studio and I fired up the computer and it, like my display just looked all kinds of whack. Hmm. I was like, what is going on? Well, come to find out the, the, the graphics card had gone bad, but in that particular Mac mini I had, this is so nerdy that we're talking about this. <laughs> the graphics card was like, it wasn't, you couldn't just replace the graphics card. It was like soldered to the motherboard. <laughs> okay. So I basically just had to get a whole new computer. You couldn't even salvage it or? No. Oh. And so the the issue with that was that 
that Mac Mini still had FireWire 800, and the Apogee Ensemble was FireWire 400, so I had like a 400-800 cable. Well, nothing has FireWire anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is 2021, so everything's on like Thunderbolt 3. Yep. So I bought a new M1 Mac Mini, and I've had the same... Dude, so, you're on salary from a Grammy-nominated artist. There it is. Yes. <laughs> oh, um, that's good. Uh, well, the computer wasn't the big deal, but it was like I didn't want to have a whole bunch of like dongles going from like FireWire 400 to 800 to Thunderbolt. Yeah, yeah. To all, I was like, this is nonsense. So I've had the same sales guy at Sweetwater for a long time, yeah. for like 20 years. Cut me a pretty good deal on a new Apollo. I think it's the X8. Okay. Which was basically the same kind of setup as the Ensemble. It had like four built-in pre's, then five, six, seven, eight are like line inputs. It had light pipe in, you know, all that so stuff. So I have the Apollo Quad, which is four active pre's and four line inputs. Okay. So it's just like a newer version of that, okay. I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's been great. And Dude, it's been great, and and it does, is this new enough? Does it have like the Unison preamp technology? Yes. Dude, that's such a game changer. How so? Because I don't know if I'm utilizing it. Okay. The best well, I can. so like they're they're basically like plugins. Yeah. But they change the way the circuitry of the preamp. Yeah. Behaves. Yeah. It isn't just like a plugin that like colors the the sound to sound like a Neve or an API or whatever. It's like actually changing. Uh, I'm not the right guy to explain it, but, sure, but sure. it's like, well, br- well, briefly, is there, is there uh, some plugins that, cause one of the, one of the things I want uh, without getting too, too nerdy, because this is, I think beyond both our pay grades, but there's so many better, there's so many plugins that, that are... I bought like a, a 1073, you know, to, cause the only thing, Here's here. I think this is relevant. People are asking me about compression and this and that. Yeah. I, I have a basic understanding of some of those things and how to like EQ some sort of wonkiness out of a snare drum or whatever. But sure. 99% of the time when I'm recording for people, I'm sending them raw tracks. In other words, I'm giving them the best sound I can with the mic placement and the mics are going through. If there's any type of coloration, it's through a preamp, yes, or a simulation of a preamp like right. the 1073. Right. Beyond that, it's. Are you doing anything for? People? Not a lot, and like I'm just thinking of other people you could enter. Like, well, in fact, you had Kyle May on here, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, like the stuff I see him post. Yeah, his stuff always sounds incredible. But this and is he's what's pro- confusing. He's probably more techie. As far as like knowing, yeah, like I'm with you that unless it's something that I'm going to be part of the finished product, yes, the sound I'm trying to send to somebody is here's what my drums sound like in my room, right? I have one outboard compressor that I'm just barely kissing on my room mic, okay, um. I do a little bit of EQ, like I've got the, uh, oh man, I can't even think of, the API 550 EQs, I bought those, in the 560s, I think those are like the graphic ones. Okay. And I'll use those on kick and snare, 
Yeah. I don't EQ my toms at all, and that's mostly because the Gretsch kit that I have sounds yeah. That's isn't that fucking the point? Fantastic, isn't that the point? I mean, like sometimes you still need to kind of massage some stuff. Sure, but, but you like want, yeah, I, I don't. I, I'll do. I'll do a little bit of shaping with EQ on kick and snare. I don't think I do anything else. Now, if if I'm going for something like if a client sends me a reference track of like, hey, I really kind of am digging the drum sound on this. Well, then I might plug in, well, maybe I'm really going to slam a compressor on something to get that kind of thing. Or maybe I'm really going to like really kind of like distort or overdrive something or, uh-huh. or whatever. But like if we're just, if it's just like a really good like singer songwritery, they just want good sounding acoustic drums. I'm trying to do the as little as possible. So then they have the option to treat it how they want it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I remember reading yeah. an interview with Shannon mm-hmm. in Modern Drummer, I think from 2008, where he said, you know, if you're doing stuff at home, you should treat it as little as possible. He said the temptation is like when you when you listen to drums by themselves or a drum, like a lot of times if you take some mids out, all of a sudden you go, oh, it sounds great. You know, you get like the lows and the highs and you scoop the mids out a little bit and, it, and all of a sudden it sounds like a record. But if you do that and send it to somebody before they've put other stuff, like if they're going to layer, like those tend to, those, like if you play a fill or whatever, it might not have the same punch because mids, while they can be really annoying by themselves, also give presence yep. to a source. Yes. That's something I was working on a project with a band where I like kind of was part of mixing and doing things. And I, that was a uh, revelation I had. I was, I would solo the drum tracks and I'd be like, man, this kick drum sounds fucking huge. And I had it EQ'd and it sounded great. And as soon as I would unmute the guitars and the bass, kick drum was gone. Yeah. And, but if I brought the mids back in a little bit, I was like, oh, it's right there. I didn't love the way it sounded when I would just solo it. Right. But in the mix of the song. Right. That was a big eye opening. And that was a while ago, but that was a big eye opening thing of like, oh yeah, well you can't just. You, you can't make everything you, sound You can't just listen to the drums. Turn the volume up of everything. Exactly. You, you have to hear them in the context of what you're doing. Yeah. I had a chance to speak with Grady Saxman. Oh, no, another good example. Yeah. And he described the frequency as like a sandbox. There's only so much room in the sandbox. And so you have to pick like, I learned this from doing some producing is you have this backing vocal, man, it sounds really good, but sometimes you have to thin that mother out so that it peaks in the right spots. So you're not relying on volume. You're relying on that space and the frequency spectrum for that spot to shine. And if it means like a thinner sounding whatever, that's where it's going to find its spot. Because if you have yeah. big drums, big guitars, big bass, big vocals, it's just it's going to sound like ass at the at the end of yeah. it. Everybody has their spot, so that when you listen, you hear every little thing. And I, I I'm guessing that's that's what Shannon is saying. Yeah, yeah. And that that was like a big a big. I just that was way before I had my own home studio or anything, mm-hmm. but that always stuck with me because 
it is really easy to just, you know, cut like 350 or 400 out of something and be like, oh, that sounds awesome. But if you do it too much when you're tracking, it's hard to put back in later on. Well, here's my old man rant uh, about what we are, the distortion in understanding how this stuff works is when we see all these great drummers posting things on Instagram, including some of our heroes with all these amazing sounding drums, like it sounds cool to watch, but keep in mind, that's this performance. That's by drums by themselves most of the time, maybe something else along with it. But that's not what we're shooting for when you're recording for someone right. in general. Uh, it's yeah. a really general statement, and there's a lot of probably holes to poke in that. But the point is, it's it's. I think if you're starting to get into recording or if you're trying to understand how to do recording better, like I am, Sometimes when you see things, people post that you know, like like Kyle or whatever, yeah. that like, man, these guys really know their stuff. Sometimes it can be confusing because you're like, that snare sound sounds amazing. I'm not getting that snare sound. You don't need that snare sound. Sure. You need sure. the best snare sound, clean, good signal yeah. for the client to be able to do what they want to. Now, keep in mind, you're going to pass your drum tracks to somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. And yes, there is also that, which I, that's why I had you ask that question to Shannon when you did the podcast with him about like, you ever hear something that you played on where you didn't get to have the final touch on how things sound and you're just like, motherfucker, like I sent you great sounds <laughs> and this is what the record sounds like. You know what I mean? Especially in his case, cause his room is ridiculous yeah. and you've got his touch on the drums. Yeah. Like if I was. And I don't know how often it happens to him out of there, but it's like if I hired him for something and he sent me drum tracks, I wouldn't fucking touch them. Yeah. I would just be like, they're done. Like, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know. But Kyle, Kyle, I don't know Kyle, but I just know him from Instagram. The thing that he does that I like is he's a jerk, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've heard. No. <laughs> he, uh, I like that he will post. He's always always got two slides. The first slide is whatever song he tracked. Yeah. But then he always the next slide will always be just the drums, which I think I appreciate because that's beneficial for younger people or just people who are new to recording. Like you think a snare drum sounds one way when you hear it in a track. But then when the drums are soloed, you realize, man, there's a whole lot of like honk or ring or whatever yeah. on that snare drum. Yeah. But you don't hear it when guitars and bass are also in those frequencies. Yeah. It goes away. And then the snare drum sits perfectly. A lot of times, maybe we we worry too much about like trying to get ring or or dead in the snare too much. And then it loses present. Like it, you might get this really nice sounding snare snare sound by itself but then it loses presence because there isn't as much air happening that mm -hmm. that's my thing and i i'm i'm a big fan of wide open drums mm -hmm. as much as i can get away with now right. if i'm trying to go for some al green thing well yeah of course i'm going to throw a bunch of tape on the snare or whatever and tune it low but but in general i want drums to sound like drums as much as they can yeah so here's the thing well first real quick about kyle what I was surprised to discover is he does some processing on his drums. A lot of the people he work, works for 
want him to do all his things so they can just drop his sounds. Sure. And he also is using Pro Tools and will share the session with all the settings and his plugins. And so the person can use that if they want or dial it back if they want. Sure. So that is like next level yeah. for me. Yeah. The other thing I've been doing is when I, and I got this from Jeff Brown, is I'll send a rough mix to the client, but I'll mix the drums, volumes, pans, that's it. And sit it in the track and say, yeah. this is what I'm, this is what I'm hearing. Well, first of all, what do you think of the performance? The recording? Is it what you want? Cool. Nice. Also, so Jeff does this. He'll send a mix of just the drums. This yeah. is how I'm hearing all, for me, 11, all 11 microphones mixed together. Just so you know. Right. You do what you want to do, but as the drummer, this is how I'm hearing it. Yeah. So what I find myself doing is I would normally turn the uh, the room mic down pretty low, and sometimes the overheads and the hi-hat down low. But I have them all available for whatever course. people yeah, want. Yeah. But recently, um, I, I'm making sure that I've got, because there's some, I might move the, the room mic so that the, um, the waveforms line up with the overheads. So sure. they're all in phase. So that way I can turn the room mic up and it doesn't sound disconnected. It sounds fuller. Yeah. Yeah. Is that wrong? What's your thoughts on that? I don't know if it's, I mean, I feel like in recording there's, if it sounds good, then it's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, how many records have been made where they, if something happened by accident and yeah. they were like, oh, well that's pretty cool. We'll just do that. Or, you know, something Happy wasn't even accidents. caught until they were mixing or mastering and they're like, well, we're stuck with it, but it fucking sounds, you know, killer. Like, right. Right. Uh, I don't know if there's a right, right or wrong to that. Like. To me, a room mic maybe should be a little out of phase because that's what that's what's creating space. Gotcha. Like I I work really hard to make sure everything else is in phase. Like I think I'm doing 15 channels of drums. Look at I, my overheads. Look how weird they are. Yeah, but do they do they sound good? They sound good, and they're the same distance. At, so I know this is an audio format. <laughs> I'm pointing as a, but they're, yeah, they're, they're, uh, um, not X, Y, what's that called? That's uh is that coincidental? They kind of look like a, look like, like an A frame. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. one is higher than the other. So they're not evenly spaced. But is that keeping together. your snare in the but center? But what it is, is, is they're exactly the same distance from the center of the snare drum. Right. So that's what the I do. capsules are. Yeah. I've got those same mics as a space pair. You're welcome. Dude, I, that's the whole reason I bought them. I borrowed those, the Warm Audio 84s from yeah, you, yeah. and put them up. And before I even recorded, I just put headphones on. Send me some on. money, Warm. Send me more gear, Me warm. too. Come on. I, uh, I hadn't even recorded yet. Just hearing them in my cans in my room, I was like, D- D- my kit sounds better. Like, the highs were clearer. The yeah. lows were fuller. Nothing sounded like it was artificial. Everything it was just like oh man that sounds great that's great man. I think I sent you I think I tracked yeah, something the next day and I was like dude you sound and I ended up using them on acoustic guitar same too like I record my son with them I've used them on acoustic tracks they, 
they're yeah. f- fantastic. Yeah. So anyway, I have those same mics as a space pair. And then I have some mm. fat heads, uh, ribbon mics. Mm. One is right next to the 80, the 84, which is on like as a player, the left side. But then I have the other one set up as like a Glenn Johns. But all that those two mics are also the same distance from the middle of the snare as the two overheads. Spaced pair, small diaphragm. Yes. And then the ribbons are and in the Glenn Johns. On the Glenn Johns. But they are all the same distance from the snare. Of so they're they're in phase with each other. Yeah. Because those fat heads have such a darker That's what I need. Tone. Yeah. Uh that like I can send a client. I just send them, there's two, I mean, I, they're labeled overhead, left, right, one, overhead, left, right, two. But you can go back and forth or you can blend them because they're in phase. Yeah. And I actually, I picked that up from Shannon. I watched, I watched a lot of his stuff on YouTube during 2020, 2021, because he kind of does the same thing. He's got, he has coals, which are, you know, way nicer ribbons, but yeah. the same idea. So you send a, you send that to a client. If they decide, oh, I really want like a darker mm-hmm. drum sound. Yeah, I mean, you just pull the eighty fours down and put the fat heads up, and it's amazing how much it will change the drum sound. Just doing that, you haven't EQ'd anything. You just do that. This extra stuff that we're talking about and this attention to detail. Do you feel like it's paying off for the people you're recording with? I don't know. I also don't care. Okay. Uh, I love that. I, I think people think it's cool and they appreciate it. A lot of times I don't hear a finished product of stuff that I'm doing. Uh So I don't know what, what they choose to go with. But your incentive is I'm going to get better. I, I, I just get nerdy about that stuff. And when I have a little bit of extra money to invest into the studio, that's what I like to do. Like, I, I want to send you options. Mm-hmm. If you choose not to use the options, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I think it's cool that you can have two different sets of overheads. And just by bringing one fader down and bringing one up, I can change the entire characteristic of the kit within a song. Because it doesn't just affect like how the cymbals sound. Mm-hmm. The kick sounds different. The snare sounds different. When you play a fill especially, you know, they're in a Glenn Johns position, the stereo image yeah. has got a different feel when you go around the toms. The Glenn Johns, G-L-Y-N. Yes. Johns. It's worth a Google if yes. you're not super hit, but we won't go into it here. <laughs> Two quick things yeah. about studio before we move on. What are you using for a room mic? Uh, it changes. I have a warm audio... Um, they're for, I think it's just a WA-14, their 414 clone that I'll use sometimes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I also have their 87 So clone. I could use a 414 as a room mic. Sh- man, you can use anything. I've used a 57 as a room mic before because it just worked. Because like, I'm thinking I can use some of these room mics, that I, this cheap room mic to do the Glenn Johns thing that you're doing and maybe add sure. more tracks. Totally. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. I, <laughs> I think sometimes we we like to think like I need to use this mic for this and I need to use this mic for that. And it's like, man, 
that's a that's a luxury. But like, if you don't have that, use something else. Yeah, you know, I know some dudes that I don't, but some dudes love a fifty-seven on hi hat. Yeah, I you know I use a SM7B on the hi hat. Yeah, like if it if it sounds good to you, yeah, and it's getting the sound that you want, that's kind of all that matters. And it's eighty bucks. Yeah. <laughs> so which I I will say, I changed my I was using a 57 for a long time and then I started using the uh I'm gonna forget what it is it's a buyer dynamic I can't think what the model number is it looks like a pencil condenser but it's a hypercarboid dynamic yeah. on snare yeah dude it's a fucking game changer Ooh, okay you know you know like I think everyone oh 57 is great I don't, I never thought, I mean, they're fine for live use. I never liked them. I always felt like, okay, the center room sounds this way in this room. And then I put my headphones on or I hear it played back. It's not capturing what the snare sounds like mm. to me. Mm-hmm. And this buyer, holy crap, dude. Okay. Uh, it's, it's expensive for a dynamic mic, but to me, it's worth it. It sounds. But that snare drum, man. That's it's important. The, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you can get you can get really bugged out if, all right, the, I got the, everything sounding good in the room. And then you put your cans on or you listen to playback and you're like, well, fuck, none of that is translating. Hmm. Why isn't it translating? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ever run into this. And I know we're going to get to this. But Shannon and I talked about this, too. Of like, if you're going for, like, kind of a high cracky snare Have you ever noticed that like you need you have to tune it up more than you think to get it to sound that way when mm. you record it hmm. that's always been an issue for me like i'll i'll crank a snare up and i think man oh it's really cracking it's really popping it's really tuned way up there but then when i listen back to the recorded sound i'm like I, it's it needs to come up higher Interesting. Like I always have to go way higher than I think. Uh-huh. That's not a sound a lot of people go for anymore. But when I do have to do that, I'll I'll get it where I think it sounds good, and then I'll do like another half turn mm. before I even listen to it because I know gotcha. oh it's just not going to sound that like that. Is it still that way with this new microphone? Yeah, for whatever reason it, that, that that wasn't microphone dependent. It's just like a weird. I don't know what it is. Like mm. maybe because when we're listening in the room we're more influenced by what the room is providing. And when you're soloing the snare mic, it's really just hearing what's right in front of it. Gotcha. You know, I had a chance to hang with uh, a couple weeks ago with Steve Brewster and Brian Zach. And um, Steve made a comment about, he feels like he listens to more music than any of his contemporaries. And he's sad about that. In other words, he is trying to keep up with what people are recording, sounds. So when he's in the studio's full-on session player yeah. for over 35 years, amazing. He's like, he wants to be in the room with a 25-year-old songwriter and be like, what do you want? What do you need? I'm here for you. Yeah. And not be like, man, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. Sure. And it doesn't matter your age. I think we all can fall into that trap 
and be like, this is the good drum sound. Man, I'm a big Stuart Copeland fan, and this is how I tune my right, snare drum. Right. So love it or, you know, whatever. It, it's You have to be aware of, especially if you are providing the service for people, for totally. someone's vision, to be aware of these things. Uh, There's also just great fun in that, in like, yeah. As a drummer, you think, okay, I need to have every tension rod the same. Every the drum's got to be perfectly tuned. Some of the best snare drum sounds I've ever had are like, like <laughs> detuning this lug furthest from me all yeah. the way out. Yeah. Or maybe both of those. And then the snare drum sounds magic. And that goes against like everything we're taught as far as like how to tune a drum. So this is, I mentioned this. <laughs> so last, my last episode that I did that I was the host of was, was uh, Brian Doherty. Great drummer, played with They Might Be Giants for many okay. years, and, and just just killer uh, out of out of New York. And I so I said this in his episode. If you've heard this before, but I jumped on, was going through YouTube rabbit holes, and I see this guy. He goes, five tips for making your drums, you know, recording drums." And I was like, "What's this guy got to say?" And everything he said, in my opinion, was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure your overheads are capturing lots of symbols. That's why the overheads are there is for symbols. Replace all the drum set. You need brand new drum heads on right. all. <laughs> right. Like, right. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> but there again, it's like it's just a matter of getting whatever sound is appropriate for whatever you're doing. Whether it's the sound you're looking for, the sound the artist is looking for, yeah. producer, whoever. Like you said, you're there to serve whoever you're working for. But you have to know if somebody says we're going for this sound from this record, dude. Know that record. Know the genre. Know yeah. the era. I mean, it's good to be on top. Uh, you, th it's sometimes hard to want to put on a new-ish record, but there's so we have access to so much good music that's made yesterday, yeah. today, forty years ago. You know, so. His point is, it's your job to be aware of this stuff. Yes. And that's, I will admit, that's something I, I struggle with. I, I, I always joke that, like, not that anybody will, but if someone ever writes a biography about me, they're going to call it late to the party. <laughs> because my entire life is always like, I'll discover a record or a movie or whatever five, six years after it's been out. And I'll be like, holy shit, this record's amazing. And they're all like, yeah, it was also amazing when it came out in 1996 or whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't know. And I think part of that is I'm to a fault. I think I get, I can get really comfortable with what I like to listen to. Yeah, same. You know, but because I like those records. So I want to listen to them a lot. But also, when a new record comes out, if there's a lot of hype around it, I get real suspicious. And, and it's not fair to the artist or the band or whatever, but like, I don't want my opinion of a record or anything, but I'm just using record as an example because we're talking about music, to be influenced by what everybody else thinks. I want to come to it on my own terms, you know? So if that means that I don't hear it till five years later, and then I go, holy crap, man, the hype was real. Yeah. Because there's a lot of records that I think, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've ever heard come out of this town in 
years. And I'm like, really? This shit sucks. <laughs> you know? But then I might revisit it and be like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Or sometimes I'm still like, no, this shit sucks. Yeah, this still sucks. But but I, I do, I, sh- I should be better about like musical trends. Or, or or not even, or just maybe branching out of like, because I'm not someone, there isn't really a genre of music I don't like, but there's definitely things that I just gravitate towards if I'm listening recreationally. Right. But making an effort to go outside of what I'm comfortable listening to in those moments where I, if I'm just running or driving or whatever, like that's, to me, that's a great way to listen to something because I'm not listening to it with like critical musician ears. I'm just listening to it as a music listener. Sometimes like as a, as a musician, you can listen to something and be like, oh, I don't like this. But if you're listening to it kind of passively, maybe you get why people who aren't musicians like it. Does that make sense? It does, because I, I think it allows you to keep an open mind and say, what makes this so popular? And I think it happens to be, how do people come across? Is, does it come across as honest? Yeah. Or does it come across as it's fake, we're just trying to produce something that people will buy? Right. Therein lies the difference. Take all the words, the genres out of the equation. You have honest music and you have music just for the sake of marketing and, you know, capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. So. Nobody knows, nobody knows. Nobody knows, nobody knows. Nobody knows, nobody knows. But one of the prime motivators in having you back on besides catching up and seeing what's been going on nobody cares about that <laughs> um you might be right um but <laughs> just kidding <laughs> oh, I, i'm more than might be i'm definitely correct um you spent uh some time hanging with shannon forrest uh in the subtitle of your episode that came out in january of 2015 before I was using subtitles, I had to go back through and write subtitles for all the episodes I had done up to that point. And one of them was, what would Shannon Forrest do? That's in your subtitle. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> because we went down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And we've done that many times. Um, Evan Hutchings and I went off on a um, Steve Jordan tangent. And, you know, we just... Shannon has been such a powerful force in the drumming world in general, but in Nashville has been just uh, an amazing influence to many of us. Yeah. And he's going back out with Toto. Dude, I can't wait. I think I'm going to go see him in Columbus. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so I'm just curious to know what you learned from him and also... I saw you post a video of something you, you learned from him playing wise, yeah. warm up wise, meditative. Yeah. That just hit me upside the head. And, and, and I've wanted you to film that. And we're going to have you film <clears throat> that and put that on our Patreon page for our supporters. You want to just start from the, the beginning of like why I even went out there? Yeah. Um, the last year or so, 
I had just been feeling really kind of blah about my playing. And it wasn't, it wasn't brought on by anybody saying anything. It was just like, I would, I would hear, I would listen to playback when I'm recording something for somebody at home or hear a board tape. And I'd just be like, man, like I just didn't like what I was hearing. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of great players in town, obviously. Um, all the big names. Shannon, something about his playing has just always spoken to me. And something about him as a person, like when I listen to him in podcasts, you know, like, you know, those kind of players that like they speak the way they play. Yes. Your personality comes out. He's one of those people. Um, and I always just hear so much attention to detail and conviction in his playing. And I think that's that's what I was not hearing in my own playing. I, I had messaged him on Facebook Messenger because I had no other way of – I didn't know how else to get a hold of him. And I just said, hey, man, you know, I've been a fan in a long time. And I said, every time I hear you play – it just sounds so fresh and every note you play sounds like you mean it. There isn't anything accidental. There's nothing that's just going by like you were playing with intent. Every note. I said, that's something that I feel like I used to have in my playing, but the last couple of years I'm not hearing it. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know like maybe what to do to fix that. And I was also just my outlook toward the music industry in general was just kind of meh. Mm -hmm. And I know that he just from things he said in different, on different platforms, like he also kind of feels that way. So he was very relatable in that sense. Not like we're on the same level at all, but like just if, if someone in his position can also feel like that, then maybe it's not like such a, it's not some abnormal thing, you know, like, so he messaged me back and he said, Hey man, I get it. Like, you know, th the way the music business is nowadays, we really just have to play for our hearts and our minds and let that be enough because technology and the business side have made it basically that like a monkey can come in and play drums and to make a hit record. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing here. I could pull up the Facebook message, but I don't want to do that. Uh, and he just said, I don't, I don't do like private lessons very often, but if you wanted to, we could kind of come out and like do like an, an all day kind of hang and, and whatever. I was like, okay, cool. And I don't want to talk too much about everything that went there because, you know, I, this is not at all complaining, but like I, I paid money to do it and it was, it was money well worth it money well spent but it was an investment mm -hmm. and it's not like joe morello or ed shaughnessy where it's like someone you can't go study with so we need to pass on stuff like i would encourage anyone reach out to whoever yeah if they're still alive like even if you think the price is outrageous take into consideration why you're reaching out to that person and what it is about them 
and then really have a, a, a real heart to heart with yourself about like, is this investment worth it? To me, it was. It was a no brainer. Yeah. And that, I think that was last August or July. I think I reached out to him and I said, well, I'm pretty busy. I'm going to be out all of August and most of September, but maybe we can get together in the fall. So I went over in October. Dude, <laughs> I was there. I got there at noon. I did not leave his place until 6.30. <laughs> and we didn't touch a drum for like the first two hours. Wow. And honestly, that was fine with me. Like, it wasn't, I didn't want to just go out there and be like, no, oh, show me that thing that you play. It was more of a conceptual headspace. Like, can you help me figure out like how to maybe find joy in my playing again? And like, so he, he told me all kinds of great stories about like when he was coming up kind of the late nineties and like, you know, first time playing with Michael Rhodes and all, just all kinds of stuff. Like his, who he looked up to. I mean, everybody knows he loves Picaro. Yeah. But like other players that he was really into, uh, his feelings on like the studio scene, the recording scene, how it's changed. Um, I, I thought one thing that was interesting is he's like, you know, I look at my body of work and there's really only like a five or six year window that I can listen to those records and like be happy with how they how they sound not not that he like played poorly on anything else but like i think he said from like 99 to maybe 05 cuz cuz those records weren't really like heavily edited wow they're not gridded it's like you're hearing honest performances from people in a room playing music together yeah and that was really I don't know, eye-opening, fascinating that, like, you know, he's... Because he had enough of a career after that. Yeah. But he's like, yeah, but, you know, so many of those records were... You're not hearing me. You're you're, he you're hearing a computer's perfect interpretation of what I played. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that was one of the things I talked about is, like, you know, a record will come out and so, so many people are like, oh, so-and-so's on this record and... They sound so great. And it's like, how do we even fucking know anymore? Like, <laughs> we're not, because the whole quantization thing, like, it's just a thing that happens now. Mm -hmm. It's not, I don't even feel like it's evaluated enough to be like, should we do this on this record? Does it need it? It's just, we do it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but like, we're, I'm not hearing that player anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm just hearing the computer take the sounds that that player provided and arrange them on a grid. Now, uh, just to slightly push back, don't you think there's genres that are now existing and new new music is coming out in genres where there isn't that happening? Yes. I guess I'm thinking mo the popular genres out of this town or out of uh -huh. L.A., Yes, I, I'm with you, and I'm not okay. saying it's across the board on every record ever made. Okay, cool. But right. just kind of in like the world that he was living in, playing gotcha. that music. Excellent. Um. So we did finally sit down and play. It was really funny because 
he was like, well, why don't you just go out and play a little? Or Because I, I think I had said, like, maybe I could play for you and you could tell me if you hear anything in my playing, you know, like, does my is my backbeat being placed weird or, or whatever, you know? And he was like, well, let's just go out and like hit some drums. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm really nervous to play in front of you, but okay. And he's like, that's okay. I'm nervous to play in front of you. He's like, I haven't touched a drum in three weeks. Jeez. So, cause you know, he does a lot of other things. He's out there mixing. He's been doing the yeah. Justin McKinney and yeah. the Wanderer yeah. stuff where it's like, he's really playing. Can you give me like 45 minutes to warm up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go, go, go get some lunch and come back. <laughs> cause he's playing like the role of producer yeah. on that. I mean, he's playing drums on it too, but he doesn't. He isn't just sitting out there playing drums all the time. Yeah. And so I kind of sat down and played, and we talked about his his studio. Which, if anyone has the opportunity to go out there, the fact that it's just in his backyard, it's. it's so I mean, insane. you saw it, right? It's so great. It's ridiculous. So great. And I think the coolest thing about that room is before you even hit a drum, you just walk out there and talk. And the way your voice sounds in that room, you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be a good sounding room. So we played, and he he was out in the room with me for a while, and then he finally went into the control room. He's like, "All right, well, you just keep playing. I'm just going to go in here and you know ignore you." But he got on the cans then, and he was like, "Just play, man." And I'm going to like throw up different mics, like you know, this is this is that room mic, and this is these overheads, and that was fucking cool, man. Because like, he was having fun. He dude, yeah, he was having fun. I mean, I was too. I was shitting my pants, but I was ha- I was having fun. <laughs> and so we we played for a while, and then he came, or I played for a while, and then he came back out, and I had I asked him a couple of questions about things I've heard him play, and so he showed me some stuff, and he's like, you know, a lot of times when I go for weeks without playing, I've got like certain go to exercises, and there he's like, you know, don't think of them as anything but exercises they're not like oh how do i incorporate this into something it's it's more of just a physical and mental exercise yeah she's like if i haven't played for a while and this is not the video i posted but i will also do one on this thank you now granted please i'm still working on them (laughs) go to the fucking source go to shannon and i think he even on his instagram he might have one of these posted but he will do a a du- like a double pedal shuffle, uh-huh. like a hot for teacher type shuffle on his feet and just playing Swiss triplets mm-hmm. over top of that. Yeah. Because he's like, if I haven't sat down behind a kit for a while, I'm just trying to get centered and feel comfortable. And he's like, that that just kind of not only like physically, but also mentally and musically, you know, making sure the flams are not too open, but they're not popping all those notes are lining up where they should with the kicks. You know, you, physically, you're not just resting your foot on the hi-hat stand. You're actually using it. So you, you can't use that for balance. You need to kind of let yourself push back into your butt cheeks onto the throne. So he's doing the shuffle thing with his feet, but he may not be using a double pedal. No, he's using a double pedal. Okay, okay. Yeah. And he leads, I think he leads like left. So he's playing the the skip note, the up note on the right, which is how I would play that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you yeah. play any double pedal? I don't. I, I I mess around with it occasionally. Yeah. And I found that anytime I play double pedal, I always lead with the left because I'm so Yes. I'm so used to playing syncopated notes with the right foot. Yeah. 
that it just makes more sense to let them keep doing all the e's and uhs or whatever. Right, right. You know, I, I, just I do. Doing I this with the pedal, pedal and I would mess around with it. Just it, keep it in the practice room to try and help balance exactly. myself. And never, I don't do anything. I don't play, and I've never played a gig or a session that requires it. Same. Uh, but I wanted to use it to open up some doors, hopefully. But then I ended up taking the pedal and splitting it into two singles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We to gotta go have on. a backup. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that's one of the exercises, and I'll do a video of that one. Uh, and it, it is... Is he shifting the, the Swiss Army triplet? No, he. I mean, it's just flam on the downbeat. Okay. And he'll do right, and then after a while he'll change it and do left. The feet stay the same. Okay. Um, And then the other one, or one of the other things he showed me, was the thing that I posted that you saw, which is... I think of it as just triplets in the bass drum, double pedal again, mm. and then you're playing flam accents. Flam, yeah, flam accents between your hands. The left hand's on the snare drum. The right hand is on the ride cymbal. Okay. And again, just another. I mean, it actually does produce a cool sounding groove. Yeah. But his purpose is just like, this is just a thing to kind of. Get me to feel comfortable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he showed me one other thing that I had asked him about that I hear him play a lot and he uses it to great effect all the time. And it's basically just the Steve Gadd Radamacue lick. I was guessing that's what you're going to say. But the way he phrases it, that's not what I thought it was. Is it a six tuplet? Like to, like a or six stroke roll that goes It's to? It's... <laughs> <laughs> I have a video I'll show you after this of, of him doing it. And I, I'll do a video of this too. Uh, but like it's right, left, left. Yeah. Right, left, left. And then that's all on the snare drum. Then right on the snare drum, left on the tom. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's so hard to describe without sitting down behind the drums. Yeah. It's not a six-stroke roll. That's what it always sounds like to me, and that he's Same. just kind of like cramming the kick note in there. Same. But I took video of him playing it, and then he played it slower. And, man, like, so he showed me he does it one way, and then he'll turn it around where he puts the kick as the the last note of the triplet. Uh this will all make sense if you go to Patreon and yes. <laughs> look at the videos. No, it's uh, but it, but I mean he's and that that is more of like a musical phrase. That wasn't. I mean he showed me an exercise that he does, but he uses that a lot. Yeah, he does. And I mean it just sounds like his inflection of it is not the way. To me, it doesn't sound the way Gad plays it because when he told me, "Oh, it's just a Gad thing," I was like, "Really?" And then when he slowed it down, I was like, yes, I mean, note-wise it is, but the way he plays it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was it was pretty amazing, man. Like, just hearing his stories and his perspective about, you know, he was on, he, he's been doing it for so long that he's seen so many changes. Yeah. And uh, we talked about, you know, when he toured with Faith and talking about being out with Toto. And it was... It was really cool. And and after that, he's like, you know, man, you know, now you've been up here and we've met like anytime you ever need anything, I'm just a text away, man. You, Love it. Like, 
you want to come up here and hang if I'm tracking or something, let me know. Or you got a question about something or like you're listening to a record I played on. You're like, hey, what is this? Or what was this session like? He's like, shoot me a text anytime. Or if you're working on something or he said, like, if you're tracking something in your studio and and you just feel like ah, something's not right. He's like, send me a two mix, man. I'll listen to it. I'll tell you if it sucks or not. And like, you know how how cool that is? Yeah, it's amazingly you know? and, cool. And like the first time I ever met him, I had just moved to town maybe a month before that. It was 2006. And I had a buddy who was working at the tracking room as like the house tech guy. Mm-hmm. And they were doing a session there and they had been there all day. It was like an all day session. And I was just sitting up at the desk at reception. And I had just gotten turned on to the Kingdom of Desire Toto record. Do you know that record? I don't. It's the last one Jeff ever did. Okay. And I actually think it was released after he died. Mm. But it's so good. Mm. And so I was like looking something up on YouTube of them playing live around that time. And Shannon was like, I mean, it's like nine o'clock at night, you know, and he's getting ready to leave. Dude, he talked to me for like 30 minutes about Jeff and like, he was, oh yeah, you hear that? And oh man, I love when he does that. He didn't even know who I, you know, I was just a guy who had been gophering that whole day. Mm-hmm. But uh, watching him play that day, I was like, this this probably my new favorite drummer or one of them. Yeah, He just blew me away. And the yeah. funny story about that is the night before, I was at the studio with my buddy and Cartage brought Shannon's drums in, set him up. And the engineer for the session was there. And he was like, hey, man, can we just line check real quick? I know you play drums. Can we just line check real quick so I don't have to do that in the morning? I was like, sure. And my buddy had been down here for a while, had been telling me about Shannon. You know, oh, he's so good. He's amazing. And like nobody knows, you know, in the drumming world, I'd never heard of him. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, I can't wait to watch this guy. You know, it's going to be great. And I go out and I told him this story. I was like, I sat at his kit. He was playing at one of his Gretsch kits back then. And I start hitting the drums. And I was like, these drums sound like ass. What is, <laughs> what is going on? Like the, I think the kick drum just had a coated ambassador with like a felt strip. And it had like some of that like joy and fabric, like neon green, yellow foam inside. Like it sounded like a paper bag because it was like the plastic side of a DW beater on a coated ambassador. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. all slap. I was just like, you know, I'm 22 years old and I'm thinking this guy's supposed to be awesome and his drums sound like shit, whatever, you know, <laughs> and I'm not hearing anything through the cans. The engineer's just pointing, telling me what to check. So I'm just hearing the drums in the room. The next day I come in and I walk into the control room. Shannon's already there and they're getting drum sounds. And I was like, these are the best fucking drums I've ever heard. <laughs> and I realized that day, I don't know how to tune for microphones. And also, I'm not him playing his kit. It's tuned for his touch. Right. You know? And like right. those two things made my brain explode. And since that day, I've just, I've been a fan. So being able to go out there and just pick his brain was a, a big deal and a, a much needed reinvigoration 
If, and if and Shannon's not a humble guy. Like he knows that he's good. Yeah. But I mean, I I, I mean, I, he's not cocky though either. He's right. a very confident person. That there there it is. The thing I like about him there it is that I think is funny is that he he doesn't consider himself like a drummer's drummer in the sense that like he's like I only know like you know three rudiments i know like the paradiddle and the swiss triplets mm-hmm. and whatever else but i think that's what i've always liked about his playing is that he always plays so musically yeah for the situation he isn't thinking as a drummer and there's also irony in that too because he's a badass fucking drummer yeah like the dude can play yeah he's confident in his ability to make a good record or make a good song i think maybe there is I picked up on maybe a little of like, but I'm not like a drummer. And it's mm-hmm. like, dude, you're a fucking drummer. <laughs> like, right, you know right, what I mean? Right. right, right. Uh, but the fact that he's so gracious with his time and, and yeah. recognizes your talent, your curiosity, uh, your desire to to learn and grow, and not just like, what can I get out of this? Sure. Was instantly he valued that. Yeah. Um, and like. I don't know if we had met in person before Mike and I went up to record our interview at his place, but he was kind from the get-go, but I could tell as he, as we went along, like most interviews with people I don't know, that he knew that we were serious and yeah. fans of his and knew his catalog and knew him. He just was like, welcome, and was just yeah. very, just very open, and and. I tell my son this as he's getting into music more is that people are more approachable than you realize your heroes are these people that seem untouchable. Yeah. They're not. If you know, if anything, they, they just, they welcome that. If they don't, they're not worth your time. Sure. I, and that's, that's, uh, I was going to mention something about that because when I posted that clip on Instagram, I had so many people that are like, somebody made a comment like the fact that you know you're as good as you are and you still felt the need to take a lesson which i'm i don't i'm not putting any stock in that but that we should all want to keep growing yeah like yes i've been a professional working drummer since 2007 i haven't had to have a day job since then it's been great i still want to get better and not because I think it's going to lead to a better gig or more money. Like, I just want to be a better drummer. I think that's the thing that was bumming me out is when I would hear myself on, would be like, I just, I feel like my playing sucks. I, there was no incentive to like, it's going to give me more studio work if I'm better. I just want to be better. I want to sit down at the drums and hear myself play and like what I hear. That's where I was. That feedback is intoxicating. Yeah. And like if I don't know if anyone else ever struggles with that, but like if you are in a rut and you're sitting down to play all the time and you fucking hate the way you sound, it's a drag, man. No matter how cool the venue is or who you're playing for, how many people show up to see you or how much money you're making. When you're up there on the throne and you don't like anything that's coming out of you, Mm -hmm. all that other shit doesn't matter. Right. To me, it doesn't. Right. Like, I'd, I want to like the way I sound. Yeah. Because if I like the way I sound, 
it comes across and other people will like the way I sound. Yeah. And and if I don't, people pick up on that. There's so many times if I've had a really good gig, I like the way I sound. Sometimes the other band members notice it. Sometimes they don't. The audience is so far removed from my world these days. Well, yeah. Um, I just don't really care. Then I also know that when I have a bad gig, I've gotten away from complaining or saying anything because that's such a drag for other yes. band members. But I have noticed in the past, if I have said anything, it's like, God, I just, oh, I'm so sorry. I just, the, tonight I was off, you know, try not to make a big deal of it. Yeah. But people are like, I didn't notice. Like, they don't know if you have a bad gig or a good gig. But when you have a good, my point is, is when you have a good, when you're feeling good about what you're coming out of you, it's I mean, even when I'm by myself in my practice room, like that was oh, that was good. I felt yeah. like I grew. Yeah, I felt like I was drawing tone out of the drum. My left hand was working today. Right, right. You know any of that? I'm stuff. like, ah, I'm ready to take on the world. It's it's yeah. so it, that's what motivates me to keep coming back. And then even those bad gigs or those bad uh, practice sessions or whatever, that's motivation to come back. Yeah, and to seek out. I've had last year. I took two or three big lessons from people, um, which I'm, you know, at this stage of our life. First of all, to seek out lessons was something that was foreign to me before I started this podcast. Yeah, and I'm so inspired by friends that I know that have continued on getting lessons. And we're not talking about weekly lessons at the locals. No, but like it's like seeking out somebody. If there's somebody that plays a way that you really like. Yeah. Like, for instance, I'm a huge Jeff Hamilton fan. Yeah. I love his brush playing. I love the tone he gets out. I love how lyrically he plays. It's yeah. not so many times drummers sound like even when you're not trying to. He knows melody. Drums can sound really staccato. And he always has this really lush, warm, inviting sound. Nothing is like, brata, brata, brata. it's always very melodic. Mm -hmm. I know he's out in L.A. At some point when we're out there, if we have a day off, I'm going to hit him up. Not because I do a lot of that kind of work, but I don't see how learning how to like have that kind of touch or play brushes like that, even if it's just a couple hours, Getting inside his mind, I don't see how that's a bad thing. Like that, I guess that was going to be my point is seek out players that you like, just even if it's just for a one time thing. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm going to this guy twice a month and he's got me playing out of the Charlie Wilcoxon book. Like, I'm not knocking that, but no, but to me, at a certain point, lessons become more like conceptual. Like, I just want to learn why you play the way you do because i love the way you play where is that coming from right you know so there's so many great players in their institutions like McHugh and eddie bayers and brewster like seek those play if one of those guys is a guy you love don't just think that like oh they're really busy or they never seem approachable i i, I felt that way i had no idea what shannon was gonna say he could have just said fuck off kid like i don't know i, I don't think he would have he's a nicer person than that but like if I wouldn't have asked, I would still just be here wondering. Steve Brewster posted something on Facebook, and Brian Zach said, I want to come hang out and watch you play, and I'll bring coffee. 
And I posted again on Brian's thread and said, I'll buy lunch. I'd love to join you guys. And Steve texted both of us and said, all right, boys, you're on. What's the second week of January look like? Let's meet at a coffee shop and hang. He like took the next step. We were kind of being kind of coy yeah, and funny, yeah. but I was like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was so cool. Uh, and again, going back to the lesson thing, Bruce Becker is who I took a couple lessons from. And um, I've got a Dropbox of things that he, and he has videos ready to go. I mean, he's a teacher. That's sure, what he does, sure. full-time teacher. Um, I'll work on that stuff forever. Exactly. I've got a lesson coming up this Friday. I've got three lessons scheduled with Ed Green and um, hopefully get him on the podcast. But yeah. first and foremost, I'm going to be taking some lessons from him. And I just would have never thought that I would see myself after becoming a full, you know, a full-time working musician that I would continue to do this. But I'm so drawn towards more about getting better for myself than anything else. Yeah. I mean, even the best baseball players have hitting coaches. Uh, like, the best the best golf tiger I mean, uh, yeah. this is Tiger Woods has a coach. Yeah. Like you you can't you shouldn't want to stop growing. Yeah. It's an investment in yourself. You know, and and like I said, it doesn't have to be for any sort of career goal. Can well, just be. I mean, it can be, but one I don't the, think you have to look at it like, well, what am I going to get out of this? One of the things that I'm dealing with that probably is different than you are is that I thought I was doing things the right way, and it has come back to bite me in. It has manifested in its in physical ways that has affected my playing negatively. So I'm having to undo things, but I'm so um, I still love this journey and this instrument so much that I am willing to kind of relearn what I'm doing to try and continue this and do it as long as I can. For sure. So it's part of the motivation. And if I can grow from it and become a better player from it, that's just icing on the cake. Yeah. So that's kind of where my angle is. But man, so this is great. We got on the studio thing more so than I expected, but it's beautiful. It's something we haven't touched upon for a long time. Uh, so I'm glad we've readdressed it. I think technologically speaking, we need to update our conversation <laughs> around sure. Homestead, even though there's a lot of tried and true yeah. things that are the same. Uh, we need to catch up. We needed to catch up with what you were doing, how you're doing, your continued growth. Hopefully that's motivating. Um, and then... The videos and the things like that, I'm very excited to share. We've got, we're trying to invest more back into Patreon uh, with this monthly video that uh, Zach and I are doing, just a kind of a, a bullshit session, whatever. <laughs> it's it, hopefully that that will be fun, and and then more content like this, and and things like that. So, man, this is it's fun. It's loose. I appreciate you driving down here. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm happy to be here. Can I? You said something. I just I thought of this. When you're talking about like having a good gig or a bad gig, yeah, and coming off stage and maybe saying something, I had a I had a realization my first year playing with David that there would be nights where I felt like I had a great great show, and we'd get back on the bus, yeah, and I'd be like, man, that was great, and everybody else would be like, man, that was fine, it was whatever, but I felt like, man, I was really like everything just felt really tight and like I was really tight with the tracks and I was on it, you know? 
And everyone would be like, yeah, it was fine. And then like the next night, maybe I, I would feel like that ah, gig wasn't felt kind of loose. But everyone else would be like, man, that was fucking fantastic. It was a great show. And it took me a little while to realize that David is not up there going, boy, Ice is kind of flamming with the click tonight. All he is perceiving from me is energy. And maybe the nights where I feel like I'm really tight with, I'm not talking like I'm weaving all over the place, but you know how it is. Like we start to analyze ourselves in real time. And it's like, shit, my backbeat could be further back or or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. The nights where I feel like I was dead on with everything and it just felt like a perfect, like a quote unquote perfect show. Maybe I, I seemed really sterile to the, I'm not giving them a little kick in the ass because the nights where maybe I'm a little more quote unquote rock and roll with my playing and it's just slightly looser there. David's feeling this wave. He's feeling energy come off. And then that makes a great show. And it was just a thing of like a realization of, okay, I don't need to be so uptight about things that I think are important I need to look at the overall picture of what's happening on stage. Yeah. Are these guys getting the jolt that they need? Because mm-hmm. as a drummer, like you can provide that better than anybody else on stage. Zach said this a couple of times in his interview that keeps coming up, and it was based on a, a conversation he had with another drummer, but it's not how you sound, it's how you make people feel. That's more important. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's, it's something along that line, but really yeah. it's, it's how you make people feel. And uh, sometimes that doesn't happen in the way we think it should as a musician, as a, right. as, you know, thinking of it very technical and things like that. I mean, that's what we work on, but really it's that energy, it's that, it's that thing. It's, that, it's why we, have, we call our, some drummers and some bands that we really love as our guilty pleasure. Well, he's technically not that great. Yes, but he makes me feel a certain way. Or that band makes me feel a certain way. And so, fuck you. That's what I love. I mean, music is all about just creating a feeling. That's all it should be about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going back to my earlier point, sometimes I feel like it's hard to do that when everything's just straight up and down. That doesn't create a feeling to me. Yeah. Well, my other point is is that um, when you have an off night, uh, try and make... I, I have worked really hard at not complaining because oh, yeah, after yeah. the gig, some people are just, they're just feeling the high after the gig. Right. Well, and that they was... don't need another band member coming up to, man, I'm so sorry. I had a really bad night. And they're just like, what? Yeah. That was kind of where I was going with that is I just learned to shut up and read the room. If everyone else, if David feels like it was a good show, then it was a good show for me too. And not just in a, well, I'm going to say it. It was a good show. No, that means it was a good show from me if David felt like it was a good show. Yeah. If David felt like it was a bad show, it doesn't matter what I think about it. No. You know? Yeah. So. It's his name on the poster. Exactly. That's who they're coming to see. I mean, the rest of us could just be a fucking iPod up there. Like, no, (laughs) nobody really cares. So for the young people, there's a thing called an iPod. And, uh, oh, sorry. That's right. It's all on the phone now. <laughs> it's actually the origin of podcast. <laughs> the name podcast comes from the iPod. No, sorry. Anyway. 
Uh, dude, but, this has been fun. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. I hope thanks. somebody gets something out of this. I have, so, you know, forget it. Okay. Uh, no, right. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, dude. It's good to see you. Hit that space bar, bro. So there you have it, my conversation with Matt Iceman. I'm super excited about the video content that he's going to create for us in our Patreon page. If you are interested in that, go over to patreon.com slash working drummer. You can join the community for as little as a dollar a month. We've got lots of content, educational and otherwise, on there. And uh, a new video that Zach and I are going to be doing every month. And uh, just so appreciate Matt adding to that. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with Robert Perkins. Robert is an L.A. drummer and event band contractor. So that should be interesting. Make sure you check that out. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, stay sane, and uh, hope to see you around. Bye-bye.